And so I think the what it comes down to is letting the symbols of art arouse something inside of our hearts and minds. Using mm. music, I think, I think music is a tool to intentionally manipulate our thoughts and emotions, which is mm. so powerful. Like when we think of like Romans twelve, I think it's verse two of be transformed through the renewing of your yeah. mind. Like mm. how do you how do you transform your mind? Well, first of all, you don't. Jesus does, but he uses things like art to arouse thoughts and emotions inside of us that we can't get to just using language. Um, but I think we have to be open to it. Okay, welcome to another episode of Top Four Discussions. We have a special one today, folks. Um, we're for the first time ever recording with a guest in studio. Um, I'm not sure when this will be released, but... Um, this Friday. Yeah, I, we're thinking this Friday. Um, but today on the podcast, we have Corey Honiger. And before you introduce yourself, Corey, um, we talked about doing an episode on worship. And we never asked who we should have on the podcast. We The first question was... Can we have Corey Honiger on the podcast? Yep. So, without further ado, Corey, would you like to introduce yourself? Well, sure. Well, I'm honored to be the first ever guest on the legendary Top Floor Discussions. <laughs> I'm an avid fan, um, even though I haven't listened to the two most recent episodes. But I listened <laughs> yeah. to the first three and loved them. So, yeah, glad to be here. My name is Corey Honiger. I'm a senior at Purdue. Um, let's see, what all do you guys want to know about me? I've been a Christian for six years now. Mm. Um, I've loved music for a long time. I am, um, let's see, musically, my skills, I, I guess the pl- the musical skill that I have that I'm the best at is probably, um, tenor choral singing. I sing in a few different, uh, choirs on campus. I lead the tenor section in Purdue's Heart and Soul, mm. which is incredible coming to, if it's airing on Friday, then it will be tomorrow. Saturday, we have our fall show. Mm. Um, so yeah, amazing, um, amazing choir. Also, um, love to lead worship, play guitar, a little bit of piano, have messed around with learning the cello, but have never ended up getting very far with that. So, um, I write music. I, do all sorts of different things, and it's a big part of my life, so excited to come and talk about it with y'all. Nice. Awesome. Uh, okay, so in our just overall, or our overview of spiritual disciplines, we originally said that we were just going to cover the four big ones, that being reading, praying, meditating, fasting, but we were like, well, I, I read through a list of 20 spiritual disciplines, and Drew was the one that pulled out yeah. worship from that, and like, hmm, like, it is a big part, and so, really, I mean, we could make this series endless, but uh, we've decided to make an amendment to our original four, and now we're adding on worship, hence this episode. So, uh, first, we want to dive into one, how the how this discipline is mentioned in the Bible, and two, give a definition for it. So, yeah, as we as we dig into that, I have a question for you guys. I think. To you, is worship something that happens in your thoughts, your emotions, or your actions? Mm-hmm. And there is a biblical answer, so you might be wrong. <laughs> well, I guess I'll say 
Uh, I feel that worship is something that happens in my thoughts and my emotions. And I think, I think action would be, I, I would separate it from, from the other two. Yeah. I'd say what comes to mind is that the act of worship is internalized through thought and emotion and expressed through physical action being singing, singing or yeah, whatever. That is, that's literally perfect. Like, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, it's something that that comes through in all of those things. It has elements that, that touches all of that. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm curious, do you guys have, have favorite verses? I wrote a few down, but I, I'm curious what you guys is, where, where did your minds go when you thought of the, when you thought of the topic of worship in Scripture? Well, I'll say I thought of David dancing before God. Yeah, I thought of that one too. Because me and Winston have expressed that we enjoy dancing and like music can bring out dancing. But in our specific church, we don't dance much, but I don't, I don't know. I think that verse is pretty unique in the Bible and it, it definitely stands out to me. Hmm. And I don't know if we would categorize that as worship or like what, what would we do with that verse? Yeah, it's interesting because when I think of worship the first thing that comes to mind is singing right and specifically i'd say singing as a group um whether it be at church or yeah with whatever christian group and i i can't say this for sure but like when i read acts and like read about the church does it ever talk about the church specifically singing together it does actually yeah so I thought this was super interesting as I started to dig into this from a little more of an academic perspective that there really are two definitions of worship that are used, and both of them are talked about in Scripture okay. and are used differently. Um, worship, when used in the New Testament, um, is uh, there's a few different Greek words that are used. The most common one is proskuneo, um, which is... It has absolutely no, like, musical overtones. Like, this is the uh, ver- word used in Matthew mm-hmm. 2.11 where the, the wise man saw the child with Mary his mother and they fell down and worshipped him. Mm-hmm. They yeah. didn't, like, bow the knee and immediately start singing, Oh, Holy Night, or anything right. like yeah. that. Um, yeah. it, the word literally means, like, to kiss the hand, to bow, or to kneel, or to show respect in some way. Um, and in the New Testament, when it uses the word worship explicitly, it talks about that, but um, or that's what it's referring to is showing respect. But then you also look at verses, um, my favorite one about worship, especially musical worship, is Matthew twenty six thirty, which is where um, it's Jesus' last night alive on earth. He is uh, has just administered the Lord's Supper for the first time, had the Holy Communion, sent Judas Iscariot out, and he's about to go walk out to the Mount of Olives. He knows exactly what's going to happen to him in the next 12 hours. He knows 12 hours, and then he's going to be hanging on a cross. And it says in Matthew twenty six thirty. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Mm. And so I just think of Jesus using music at that time to minister to himself. And I mean, and there's other places in say Colossians 3 where it talks about singing with uh, songs and hymns and spiritual songs mm-hmm. and those things. And I think art is a huge, um, the, the New Testament is definitely a proponent of art and talks about using art in our relationship with God. But that's not... And actually, the definition of that that I like the most is that Jesus used um, when he was talking to the woman at the well. And the woman at the well asked him, like, what does worship mean? Should we be worshiping um, here on the mountain, or should we be worshiping down in Jerusalem? Because there was, you know, that big disagreement between the the Jews and the Samaritans. And um, 
And Jesus said, the hour is coming, and now is here, when the true worshipers, this is proskuneo to the people who show respect, who bow, who kneel, kiss the hand of God, yeah. will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For this, uh, the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Yeah. When we started, when we said we wanted to do worship, I feel like it was me saying I want to go hike the Grand Canyon, and then you get there and you're like, oh, it's big. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like so much more than you, than I ever really anticipated. Um, our, at least my interpretation was we were going to dive into the music portion of it, right? Obviously, there's so many types of worship. Like if you do acts of service, that is a form of worship in a way. So... Yeah, I did a uh, Merriam-Webster search of worship, and it comes up with to honor or show reverence for as a divine being or supernatural power. Um, And so that's kind of what you're getting at, is that there's that side where you're showing reverence, and then there's like the... um, like music and really expressing that um, in your heart through music. Um, and so something I thought of in that is also like, are there any other forms of art where you express worship, but that aren't music? Um, I thought of a recent experience I had where I got to go to Great Britain and there you see, uh, these massive cathedrals Mm. and beautiful buildings and, um, the Catholic church and the church of England, I think had a reverence that like it's in the definition, like add a reverence that was expressed through these beautiful buildings. And there were kind of images of these things that they were worshiping images of Jesus on stained glass windows or in sculptures. And I think that too might be a form of worship. I I totally agree. Um, last weekend I had a, another show in, um, in the Catholic Church, just here in Lafayette, it's a beautiful building, mm-hmm. um, and we're we're singing with the Purdue Varsity Glee Club. Um, so, like, we're there just sitting in the audience. Once as the Glee Club was singing one of their songs, it was "Near My God to Thee." They were just sitting up there behind or right in front of this thirty-foot-tall crucifix with mm-hmm. you know like eight-foot statues of Mary and Joseph up on either side. These beautiful stained glass windows and the like arching, like cavernous. That's probably totally the wrong word, but like the like yeah. beautiful architecture. Yeah. And I mean, I understand music much better than I understand any other form of art. So that's mm-hmm. why like I love to dig deep into that. Like I'm hoping we can, t- we can talk through like chord progressions and yeah. some of those things later on. Cause like yeah. I understand it, but I think there's so many genres of, of art that can be used in, in worship. But Simon, I'm curious for your thoughts on that. Cause I know you're a big art guy. Uh, I do love art. And so, <clears throat> we had a episode earlier on about music, not necessarily worship, and I was, I, I don't know if I mentioned it, but, like, a song with a, like, set meaning and, like, the way I interpret that meaning, like, it may not be a song that it's something I necessarily agree with, but it's someone else's expression of how they're feeling or what, like, what they think of, let's say, like, fear and how they can face fear. Like, I just love the how art can have different interpretations and the artist can, you know, have a interpretation that they want to be seen, but, 
like it's in the eye of the beholder and just like how complex art is because it's it's not like and i know literature is art but it's more abstract i feel like and i think of like paintings and music as art and like even movies and things like that um but what you what we were talking about about actions um and what were the other two actions thoughts and emotions so recently as i've been singing i've been trying to really close my eyes and like encounter god and just like in my worship like see god like think see about what you're praying for or sorry think about what you're singing to yeah like cuz yeah. cuz it's a it's an expression of my reverence towards god and if it's really worship i should be closing my eyes and looking up to heaven and and like realize that i'm singing i'm worshiping to god and I mean, I, I never like drew that connection, but I just like it feel, felt right to do it in the moment to like maybe not like see the notes on the paper and not be like sometimes I'll mess up a note or whatever. But it's just like thinking about the words and um, sometimes I'll sing and I won't do that. And it's just like it's more about the communion of it and like singing together as a congregation, which is also beautiful. But the most artistically beautiful music experience I've ever had is in rehearsals for the Purdue Christmas show, which is a phenomenal show. It happens every year. It's televised nationally. Um, I think we had about like 15,000 people come last year. And it's it's this beautiful, beautiful song. For the entire second half, we just have like 250 of the best singers on Purdue campus come together and sing beautiful choral songs and this year like we're singing songs like um like alleluia choruses you know one that everyone knows <laughs> i can and, only imagine how beautiful that mm. sounds right and so we're just like sitting there in the rehearsal room and the basses come in and he shall reign forever and ever um but yet i know i know these people and i know i mean not all of them are believers right everyone's mm. here singing this and it's it's a strong like it's a beautiful experience but yet it's a cultural experience instead of a religious experience and yeah. to me those are two very different things and so while i would say that this that that sort of thing is musically beautiful i would say that congregational singing is more spiritually beautiful mm. and where do you think like the difference is because uh when we were talking about fasting because we recorded the fasting episode before this but we're going to release it later uh we talked about how whether you fast for spiritual reasons or not you receive benefits for it. Same with meditating. That's why people do yoga, right? And so, again, with worship now, like, you can feel the benefit of this music in a sense, but without the spiritual part of it. So how do you think we dive into the spiritual side without just singing as a group together? Yeah, that's a great question. I think... Music is is powerful because it transcends language. Um, I yeah I, I've studied communication um, here at Purdue and there's a number of classes that talk about how uh, I mean all of communication is, is symbols and everything from the words we use to then the elements in our music and in uh, and in art is a symbol that refers back to something that is intrinsically meaningful to us whether that's memories or um, or experiences that we've had and so I think the what it comes down to is letting the symbols of art arouse something inside of our hearts and minds using mm. music i think i think music is a tool to intentionally manipulate our thoughts and emotions 
which is mm. so powerful. Like when we think of like Romans 12, I think it's verse two of be transformed through the renewing of your yeah. mind. Like mm. how do you, how do you transform your mind? Well, first of all, you don't, Jesus does, but he uses things like art to arouse thoughts and emotions inside of us that we can't get to just using language. Um, but I think we have to be open to it. Yeah. I think if I can tell another story, um, <laughs> yeah. my absolute favorite musical performance or most fulfilling musical performance that I've ever had was at a small church in Southern Indiana. Um, I was traveling with Purdue's heart and soul. Uh, we were on tour there uh, a couple years ago and I knew that in this particular church congregation uh, about six months before they'd had a young man commit suicide. So I, mm. um, Halfway through Heart and Soul show, I just stood up and I said a few words about how I know what it's like to carry a teenager's casket. And then I sat down at the piano there and I played a piano solo um, that I had written. And there were no words, nothing. Um, but just through the notes of that piano song, I, I started to hear the sound of the audience crying over the noise of the piano. And when I finished it, and I, I played the song terribly. I've gone back and I've listened to those <laughs> recordings. I missed so many notes and flubbed up on so much of that. Yeah. It sounded terrible, but, but at the end they gave it a standing ovation. Bec- and it was so fulfilling to me because I saw that they resonated. They understood the message, even though there were no words in it. They understood. They connected with it on a heart, on an emotional level, to where they understood what I was saying. And I understood how they were feeling. And that created an emotional connection and intimacy between me and the audience and between God that was so incredibly powerful. And I think that's what music does for us is it allows us to, to communicate better, which builds more intimacy, which builds better relationships. Hmm. I don't know. Thoughts? That's really fascinating. When I think of music and specifically spiritual music, I think of the words as being like the spiritual part, like that's what or singing these words and they have a meaning and then we're pulling from that meaning and they're giving us substance and they're energizing. But then, and then I think of like the tune of the song and like the music part is like, that's there to make it fun and make it flow and make us like come back to it and sing it again. But like hearing about it as the music being a spiritual, um, like it adds spiritual value in itself is really interesting. And I think we can definitely go down a rabbit trail of (laughs) kind of how that breaks down. But yeah, it's fascinating. I have to ask of that story. Did you write the song with intent of the chords having meanings within them? Absolutely. So that particular song, um, I actually started writing about three years before that. Um, Back when I was, I think, a sophomore in high school, I had written this simple song for a play that I was in of Little Women. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with that with that story. Yep. Um, but there's a, um, a young woman in that story that, that dies and that she's a pianist. And so this particular song I had written for this high school show as Beth's theme. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, Beth would play the theme on the piano, and then after she died, it you know came back in the background music and that sort of thing. Um, and it was a very simple chord progression. Um, it was meant to be simple. It's um, in B minor, which I love the key of B minor. Um, and it's, yeah, it's all very, very simple. There's never more than like four notes played at a time. And then we come to, um, when I started writing this music was after, uh, or this particular piece was then after a um, a close friend of mine had passed away. And um, 
and I went to the piano, and essentially this entire song ended up being me trying to play through that same chord progression that I had used to describe Beth's death in the play, trying to get through that same chord progression, but I never quite could. So it was about five chords in the progression. I would go through like the first three, and then it would all fall apart, and it would go through something completely different. Then it would go back to that chord progression, and it would build up, and i maybe get through three or four of the chords again before it would fall to pieces and go back into something else. And it was always trying and trying to go back to those chords. And so there was, there was an intentional journey worked through there, and some of that was... I mean, intentional, I mean, in my conscious thoughts, others of that was subconscious, but there were so many details in there that was, um, that was all very, very intentional. Um, that, that type of music isn't just written by people who are like, oh, this sounds cool. It's okay. This, this communicates what I want to communicate. This says what I need to say. Hmm. Interesting. So do you think people like rappers or pop, uh, pop artists, do you think they actively think about the chords and the, I don't even know all the terminology, but... A hundred percent. Like, you've talked before about how, like, with the Rubik's Cube, of people who don't know anything about the Rubik's Cube are like, oh, what the heck's complex, so complex right. in that? But once you start getting into anything, the people who are amazing at it are those who yeah, are the really most intentional out. Yeah. and who dig in deep. And music is the exact same way. Like, if you think about it, all of sound is just, you know, propagations in the air. Mm-hmm. Um, the... The question of how do you like combine those to create something that's so complex yeah and mm-hmm. those who understand it the most do the best at it yeah. you can only get so good just through inherent talent yeah it's it takes so much intentionality and so much focus mm. yeah oh. go for it um i had the opportunity opportunity to go to a uh orchestra or symphony I don't even know the difference. It's one of those two. Um, but it, these were professional musicians. Like These were musicians that do music full-time that made up this orchestra. I'll call it an orchestra. Um, and um, the director, before each song, would kind of tell a story that either inspired the song or like this is what the song is about. And then they'd play this piece, which a lot of them were 10-minute pieces, right? Um, and I think I really did feel that emotion in the music and I kind of thinking about that now, I hadn't thought about this before, but like that was really interesting to hear how, um, I'm not going to explain it well, but the highs and the lows and the volume, how it kind of gave that like, oh, like this is a really intense part and. Um, maybe whoever wrote this song is going through like a really difficult time um, or like, I don't know, but you could kind of in your mind piece the music to that emotion and kind of that meaning. Totally. Uh, I want to do a little demonstration here because there's so much in music that we could talk about from like, from dynamics and volume to different uh, melodic styles to, I mean, rhythm and voicing and context and all of that. Um, but if we can focus just on like chord progressions, I want to show you, you guys know the song Be Still My Soul? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really old hymn, and I, I love the chord progressions of that, and I um, I have here like just the chords, and it's, um, if we can play these, I want to try and t- like tell you the story with the chords. So it's broken mm-hmm. out into basically like five different like movements or chord progressions throughout, throughout uh, in a single verse, and it starts off um, 
and, and yeah, here's the first one, and I want you to kind of feel a little bit of the tension in it as it, as it builds up tension and then slowly kind of resolves back um, throughout this first one. It goes... you feel as it builds tension and then resolves and then it goes through another one that starts off similar and then changes and gets into something that um, yeah also resolves back but resolves back slightly differently here's the second part and then this is where it gets really interesting so that, that one was yeah pretty similar to the first one but so are you are you seeing like Okay, the chord goes down, and then it goes up, and then it goes... When you say it resolves, it goes to the same spot that it was? Yeah, so the in terms of chords, every song has a... Um, every song has a root chord, essentially. So, and that's, like, it, this particular song is in the key of E-flat. So E-flat major would be the root chord of this song. So at least as I look into, um, like, in preparation for this, I went through the, um, like, the song Be Still My Soul... And, uh, I mean, those of you on the podcast or listening to it can't see this, but basically I went through each line of it and I saw, okay, where is the root chord? And then where's the next time we go back to the root chord? Mm. And in between each of those is a phrase. So that's where uh-huh. we started off with E flat, the root chord. Then we went to a D slash F. And then from there we went to B flat seven to A flat to B flat to E flat. And then when we got back to E flat, that's essentially the journey that we took. So we started with the, um, we started with one, then we moved down a little bit, mm. and that's where you started to have the clash. So I guess another piece from a technical note is that um, all of music is relative. So the musical scale is all defined in context of each other. So octaves are twice the frequency apart. So if you have like an A and an A, you know, one's much lower, one's much higher. Mm-hmm. Um, the difference is that the, freq- is that the higher A, this one, has twice the frequency of this one. Um, so all of these chords have meanings in the context of the other notes that are around it. And by being around those other chords, uh, or by being around those other notes, essentially they create different, um, different thoughts or different, uh, sensations, or I guess as symbols, they mean different things to us. Yeah. So take, for example, if we were to look at, that's where you come to some, um, like a simple chord, like the, the, main chord of the song is pretty straightforward like that one you know just sounds normal but then you take this one here which is a seventh chord you feel like the tension in there there's essentially two notes that are a little too close to each other um basically as as these vibrations exist in the air uh there's constructive interference so these waves um combine with each other in order to create new waves which we call overtones um, and these overtones exist in the air uh, and exist in, in our ears and how we perceive music. And w- so when there's two that don't combine quite as well, um, then it, it, it creates a different sound, and that's where we call it dissonance, um, and that's what creates a lot of tension in music. So often it'll start off, songs will start off something that's more peaceful and normal, then we'll create some sort of dissonance and then resolve it, um, which gives us a sense of, okay, we started somewhere, and it changed, and then we ended up somewhere else. Hmm. Okay, one other question. Yes. You showed us the lines of music and said, like, okay, the E, E flat? 
Yes, E flat. Yeah, okay. The the E flat is the like core note. Can you just look at the line of music and be like, oh, like that's the core note, or is that something that you have to know beforehand? Or like, does it say somewhere explicitly on the paper? It does. So every song has like a key signature. So that's where you would see like off in the upper left hand corner, there's a certain number of either sharps or flats right there at the very beginning of the song. And in this song, there happened to be three flats there. And three flats means it's in the key of E flat. So E flat, so like we've all heard the song from The Sound of Music, uh, Do, Re, Mi, Fa, So, La, Ti, Do. Mm -hmm. Do is always the uh, the root note. So okay. it, this is in the key of E flat, which means Do is the the main note, which means that the chord E, E flat, is the main chord. Um, and so the main chord in whatever key is typically do, me, and so. Mm -hmm. So you put those three together, and it creates the the typical chord. And then you don't have to touch on, like, how, but all the other aspects you mentioned, like just the rhythm of it, the chord progression, all this other stuff, you can also see that just based on what the chords look like on the line? Absolutely. So the, the reason... Um, the melody is something you can see as you read. I mean, often it takes a lot of practice to be able to go from, you know, seeing it to hearing how it sounds like. Um, and I'm not perfect at that. Um, but that's that's something that often, in order to, I guess you can see the basics of just by looking at it. Often you do have to hear it in order to, you know, really understand what it means. Mm -hmm. um, but that's that's all written in there if you know where to look. Yeah. So if you, if you have to listen to it to understand it better. As you're singing a song, do you appreciate it more as you go through it, or do you look it over first and be like, okay, this is like what it's going to be like? you got to do a little bit of both. Um, I think there's... Yeah, I mean, part of the joy of, like, congregational singing is you'd never appreciate it. it is, is it's all created together. Like, yeah. no one of yeah. us can do this ourselves. Yeah, because there are different notes, yeah. And and so, like, I mean, I can just imagine, okay, yeah, here's what the root chord sounds like, but it's a completely different thing to hear it. So, like, I could tell you that when you come into the... Um, when you come into the latter half of, of Be Still My Soul, it goes through this really, you know, dark and minor part and then, you know, then resolves itself to something triumphant. And I can tell you that just by looking at it. And I can read that by looking at it, but I can't feel what I feel when I actually hear those chords as it goes from F minor to G minor to E flat to A flat to G major. Yeah. Like, we feel something different when it plays there than we do just by reading it. Gotcha. So you can see parts of it, but you can't quite feel it. Yeah. That kind of leads me to my question, and I actually have to go here soon. I have a presentation that I have to go to, so I'll just <clears throat> say this question, and then I'll be a listener. When I get home, I'll listen to it or whenever it releases. But my question is, does understanding music and the like, more science behind it and the more logic of like how complex it is, does that enhance your worship or do you think like how is this a spiritual discipline like is do we have to put the time in to understand the music or like can we do the discipline just like we don't have to be i don't know does the question make yeah, sense I, I feel like i i, I don't definitely know get the question um 
I would say I love the song Heart of Worship because um, I, I think it addresses this specific thing. Um, it's definitely there are right ways and there are wrong ways to worship. Um, I think of the the story mm. that Jesus told about the Pharisee versus the tax collector. Um, and the, the the Pharisee, you know, went to, went to church and he prayed um, just, you know, about himself. God, I thank you that I'm better than all these other people. Thanks for making me so great. Yeah. And then the... The tax collector just came and said, God, I'm horrible. Yeah. Please take this terrible thing, this terrible thing that I am and make it something worthwhile. And, I mean, and Jesus said that this one, um, this one was forgiven, not the other. And so I definitely think that the same thing can happen in worship. Um, and, and that's definitely something to watch out for is worship is not about us. It's about him. But I do think that the, that technical side can help us when it's done for him can help us worship him better yeah um but it any like so i think the challenge with art is that it takes so much skill like we're all born knowing how to talk yeah um but you don't become good at art without a lot of practice but that being said prideful art is still idolatrous yeah oh thoughts i often get a little frustrated with singing like in the ac church for example because i feel like it's so technical that i have to um like i have to be technical too and i'm i'm just not like i i'm just not a music person uh but don't get me wrong like i well just in general in my car singing i have a way stronger spiritual experience than ever singing in church Mm. And I think there's definitely something, if anything, um, my spiritual, I don't know, arousal in church would be from hearing the congregation all at once, not from my own act of worshiping. Does that make sense? Totally. Whereas in a car, me singing, that would be like, I'm praising God too, or I'm worshiping God. So in my car would be more personal because it's not technical. Whereas I would more tend to get frustrated if I focus on worshiping myself or not, <laughs> not worshiping no, myself. I, I get, I get the question. I think that raises a really interesting and thought provoking question of are all genres of worship equal? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Equal, I, like equal in value. You mean? Yeah. I gotta say Yes. Yeah, I mean, it depends. So, like, is, say, country music, is country music defined at all by its lyrics or only by its musical style? Because country, um, like, the genre of country music has lyrics that, like, will repeat often and ideas that repeat themselves often that I wouldn't say are necessarily the most spiritually enriching. Um, That's subjective, but, you know... Um, and so if country music is is at all defined by its lyrics, then I would say you could maybe you could probably say that country music has some less value, but I'm not sure like where that line is. We've said again and again that uh Christianity is uh is a faith of intentions. It is like if you're like with the Pharisees, right? 
if you're doing all these works, but it's not out of faith or it's not out of the right intention, well, it's meaningless. And I think that's similar with music. So the music itself, they're all equal, but the intention with different music is going to be different uh, and of different values. So the music itself is not of different value, but the intention behind it is or can be. So I actually disagree with you guys on that. Um, okay. <laughs> I think, so I, I could totally be wrong. So I, I'm not going to say this as, oh yeah, this is something that I'm certain of. But I, I think there are clear differences because, uh, yeah, lyrically, there's definitely differences in different yeah. types of genres. Um, but I think that all of the other things that define a genre also have their own meaning. And so I guess I think of a genre in terms of, I guess, six major things. The first is lyrics. Um, second would be like the voicing, which means like the instrumentation and the, yeah. and the timbre of those instruments. Um, third would be the melodic style. Uh, fourth is the chord progressions. Fifth is the rhythm. And then six is the, the context, um, in which mm -hmm. the, that music is typically played. And I think that all of those do help to contextually define the meanings of different genres. There's a communications researcher, um, um, named McLuhan, who was famous for saying that the medium is the message. And I mean, he was specifically referring to the idea that, um, that the different mediums that we use to communicate shape society more than any specific things that we say. But I think the same thing applies for, um, for worship where, um, sometimes the way that we make music, um, is just as meaningful as what the, as what the lyrics themselves say. Yeah. Um, so I, like, I think like if we were to contrast, say, um, hymns versus like modern worship, mm -hmm. I would say lyrically, Hymns tend to be more formal lyrically um, versus modern worship tends to be more relatable. In terms of voicing, hymns tend to be more choral versus modern worship tends to be more, um, tends to have more of a soloist with, and then be, I guess, acoustic mm -hmm. or sometimes use synths. Melodic style, hymns have, are pretty constant. Um, they keep the same melody throughout versus um, more modern worship. The melody kind of evolves a little bit throughout the song. Chord progressions, um, be Still My Soul has 11 different chords in it. Uh, 10,000 Reasons I was looking at has four. Um, wow. So it's the chord progressions are um, many and complex in hymns versus they tend to be pretty few and simple in modern worship. Rhythm mm. is the exact opposite. Rhythm in hymns is incredibly simple. Rhythm in modern worship can get very complex. And, of course, context. Hymns were written uh, typically hundreds of years ago versus... Modern worship is, is written in the 21st century. So I would say things like hymns are better for building cross-generational connections because mm. of the lyrics that are more formal and because they've been around longer, as well as for describing complex emotions because, like, I think it's ridiculous to say that a song with four chords could contain the same emotional weight as a song with, like, 11. Mm. Um, but, so I, I think, I think it, music just doesn't work that way. But I would say, on the other hand, modern worship is better for building energy because of the rhythms that they use and because of the way that the melodic style carries the energy forward. Um, and it's also better for learning new songs because it's easier to sing, to your point about technical yeah. ability. Because with, it's also ridiculous to expect a song with 11 different complex chords to be as easy to sing as a song with four. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and it also helps with just making people feel seen because the lyrics are more relatable and it's written for the modern day. So I I guess I would say that they're that they're different enough that it's yeah that they there's no possible way for us to say that they're the same. It's music just doesn't work that way. Right. Yeah. So like in context, they can serve different purposes. Um, yeah, they can they can all be have 
more or less value at some point and then um would you say like in context each genre can serve a certain purpose i would totally agree okay yeah i have one thought about the i have an issue with the context part because there are different contexts for every song right everyone has a different reason why they're writing that song and so i guess you get these like micro genres that are popping up every well how however often but just it's hard to uh, define what a genre is with so many different contexts possible. Does that kind of make sense? And then with, but then obviously you can broaden the context as wide as you want uh, between, well, like you were saying, hymns, this time period, whereas uh, modern worship is this time period. But then for me, it gets kind of vague, like, well, what is a genre? Because how big do you make the context? text yeah that's that's a great point i think yeah, genres are never quite as clear-cut as we think they are yeah because i mean real sure. artists love breaking rules <laughs> yeah true true and yeah <laughs> like when Jimi hendrix played the national anthem with his electric guitar <laughs> or even like look at our new hymn book that we have in ac churches that's like takes um a lot of songs with more modern melodies um, and chords and suddenly puts them in four-part acapella voicing. Like, mm. it intentionally mixes the two genres in a fascinating way. Hmm. Yeah. So the books, or the songs in the blue books, those are originally, like, more modern? Most of them, yeah. not not quite okay. all. Uh, but then they transform them into the style of hymns? Exactly. Wow. So, and okay. not in every way, right? Because... Style is a very vague word. Yeah, and so you just can't. A lot of the chords tend to be the same, so like you're going to find a lot of still simpler and fewer chords in those songs. Um, and, of course, they, they did change the rhythm. So they kept, I guess, mostly the melody and the chords They ten- tended and the lyrics. They tended to change more the, um, the uh, I guess, the rhythm, made the rhythm much more simple, and the... Uh, yeah, and then change the voicing from, you know, soloist and instruments to acapella, which honestly, I think I admire the heart behind it. I'm a little curious to see how it's going to work because it removed the complexity. Because like I was saying, I think hymns have really complex chords and simple rhythms versus modern li- worship has simple chords and complex rhythms. And I think it took the complex out of both of those. It just says now oh. a lot of these songs have simple chords and simple rhythms, which I think makes them less meaningful. Oh. So I'm curious to see how so yeah i i think it's really neat how they're trying to combine those genres i'm also i guess just curious how that's going to go and how these songs are going to be resonating with people yeah so you would say that you find more uh maybe not importance but more impact uh from the notes than you do the words i would say there's a lot more depth in those okay uh, and i mean there's always like I'm, this is painting with a ridiculously broad brush yeah um but i would say like because all communication is symbols when people talk just with words we tend to assume that we know exactly what each other mean mm. but the moment that there's art involved we for we can tend to lay aside those expectations and start to not think about okay what are you saying but what are you meaning that's true because like even in a lot of conversations the way that you say something in the tone that you say it in has completely different meaning and that's why text is really quite a horrible way of communicating because there's no tone in that but i 
in my head I separate the two like okay there's music and then there's just talking and conversation but really they're both uh, intermingled with tone and rhythm and stuff and the words but just to different degrees yeah researchers call that high context versus low context mediums oh, okay mm. so let's see I learned about this last year let's see if I can recall <laughs> uh, high context is it relies on what's around to show the meaning or more just the the meaning is being transmitted through a variety of different channels at the same time okay so low context would be like uh your genes are blue yes and it's but well so that, right. that's that's a message i would say <laughs> it's more like through text where it's all it is is you know these these letters on your phone okay um but then high things get to be more high context say when you're talking on the phone and then when you're on a video call there's even more high context because you can see each other uh -huh. and in person is the most high context yeah, yeah i got you okay. and i would say in the same way um music can be very simple um but it can also be er, music music can be very low context but it can also be, be very high context when you start to incorporate all of these other elements by making intentional choices to communicate your message through the melody through bringing in either different types of voices um, or different different chords and all those things. Even, like, you'll notice songs get much more exciting when the melody gets higher because as mm. we get higher, our voices tend to become brighter and louder. Mm. Um, so brighter would be such as... would be the difference between, like... Um, so brighter would be more of, like, a Broadway sound versus um, full would be more like a qu choral sound... You can kind of think of so like full would be like a ah, uh, versus a ah, where you know you just have the sound is placed more in the front of your mouth and mm. I, I don't know I, I'm terrible at doing those sort of demonstrations so maybe that doesn't yeah. mean anything but like as we people use the melody in order to you know manipulate the voicing and to help us sound different ways and all of those things and that makes music I think a very high context medium for communication. Yeah, yeah. I have a question so. Um, Winston and I were talking, I think it was on Saturday about, um, having discussions that have value and that when we have these discussions and we wrestle over a topic, then we can pull something from that and we can apply it to our lives and it in turn, um, impacts our spiritual lives. And then there are discussions where, um, the outcome of the discussion doesn't necessarily impact um, it can impact how you see the thing, but it doesn't necessarily have a direct impact on you. So I guess my question is, how has learning about music um, and going from this place where you have maybe some understanding, but not this great understanding, to now when you really understand all these different aspects of music, and how has that um, impacted your experience with music and how it affects you in your spiritual life? That's a really good question. I'm curious for you guys to answer the same one, but um, I would say for me, it's taught me to, um, it's gone along with the journey of developing emotional maturity. Um, and part of it is, you know, just, you know, growing from being a young teenager to an adult. Um, you learn to embrace more nuanced emotions. And I think music, understanding music has been a part of that for mm -hmm. me. Um, understanding how music can work to, to mean different things and to mean things that words can't articulate has helped me to be more in touch 
with my emotions yeah. and to learn how to handle those and then also how to bring them to God. Um, both that is, I mean, it helps me relate to God during worship, but also other times as well. When I'm more in touch with myself and my emotions, I'm able to have more honest and authentic conversations with him. Builds intimacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, for me, like, I wouldn't say that's something that I really process through a lot, like how these chords and how these sounds are influencing the way that I experience this song. But um, there's a, a band that I listen to called the Grey Havens, and I really love their music. And as maybe a year or two ago, they started putting out this podcast where they'd take a single song and they'd break it down and talk about how they built the song and how they um, designed the chords and they talked about where the lyrics came from too. And I really love listening to that podcast. Like I understood each song more after I listened to that episode where they explained kind of where the song came from and kind of what different sounds they're using to make this song. Um, and so that's an example of I how I've really appreciated um, the more technical side of music in what I listen to. Hmm. That's really neat. How has how has that changed your relationship with Jesus? Hmm. Um, that's a good question. Um, if it hasn't, you can just say that. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say like it's been in any grand way where I'm like, I was obviously at this place before and I've made a big change. I I wouldn't say it's like that, but it's when I go back to that music, I think it has that much more of, um, of a more defined meaning to me. And, um, I can listen to that music and connect with it more. And in turn, this music that is praising God, I can, I think connect with God and with Jesus more through that. Hmm. I can say with certainty that I've never sang a song and actively thought about how the chords are affecting my emotions. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, For me, the role that listening to music has played in my life has more been with eliminating bad music than uh, appreciating good music in term good in terms of like well, Christian or not um, so yeah I just I haven't really do- dove into it much one thing that one idea that has just been kind of resonating is that the more you understand it the more you appreciate it And this is the same with the Rubik's Cube. I don't know why I haven't assumed it's the same with everything else. And so that makes me think with the other spiritual disciplines, like if you understand how complicated and amazing the Bible is with like cross-referencing and all these other things, like the um, how the things that happen in the New Testament are were portrayed hundreds of years before, and just how amazing everything ties together. It makes me think the more you understand that, like the, the more that you'll get out of your reading, similar to how the more you understand music, the more you'll get out of worship. Right. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's really neat to learn. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Do you have a particular favorite song? It it always changes. I don't know. I think uh, I have lots of favorite songs. <laughs> I, I don't know. I think uh, I, I'm going to have to think about that. Do you guys? Mm. Uh, yeah, I do. Um, we talked about this in our music episode, which now that I think about it, we should probably just delete that one. That's like, <laughs> I, f- I feel like, no, I, but I feel it, like that is, yeah, it did is I'm really appreciating this conversation uh, though. Um, think, well, I think we can appreciate this conversation much more now that we had a much more ignorant conversation. Sure. Earlier. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, on each other. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I mentioned this in that episode, but, uh, the song is difference maker by need to breathe. Um, and an interesting thing about that is I have songs that I really love the lyrics to, but the music is just like, I I don't really connect with that. And then I have songs. I see this a lot in pop music where the, um, the tune and the music is a ton of fun and it's so fun to listen to, but the lyrics are like, what Trash. am I listening to? Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I really like this song for its combination of both. It, um, I don't know. I, I'd i be interested to hear what you have, um, if you listen to the song about the music part of it, but I really appreciate both the uh, music and the lyrics. My favorite hymn would be Victory in Jesus. It's, I, I requested to sing it this weekend and it was in the blue books and Brendan was like, oh, we don't have the most skilled leaders right now. I don't know if we'll be able to tackle these. Uh, and he was like, oh, victory in Jesus, we can do this one. So mm-hmm. I, I think in that manner, I appreciate the simplicity in it. And for me, since I'm, I don't have to look at the notes as well to sing it, uh, I can focus more on the words and when I sing that and focus on the words like victory in Jesus, my savior forever. Like it, it's just, I don't know. I love it. Um, uh, and I think it, it is rooted in that simplicity. Ironically, because you said that <laughs> simple music has less of an effect, but I also, um, I acknowledge that God uses both the simple music and the complex music for different types of people. Definitely. So, because if because if there were only that that complex, really rich music, then I don't think I would be able to appreciate it. And we need both. It's hard to get excited while singing "Be Still My Soul" versus it's really easy to get excited while singing. I heard an old old story about yeah. a savior who came from glory. Yeah. No. Yeah, I was thinking about the song that I told you about, "Difference Maker," and. I'm not sure the all the intricacies of it, but its tune, I would say, is pretty simple, but I feel it, like it's so well paired with the lyrics and like the mood of the song that even though, from my perspective, the tune and the chords, I looked it up even because um, I was interested in learning how to play it on the guitar, and it's just like a couple of chords, like it's not that many chords, but... I feel like its simplicity is like, I feel like it's almost helping the song. Do you, 
do you think there's a place where like music and its simplicity can speak louder than if it were like so complex and having more chords and whatever? Oh, absolutely. I was speaking more to the strength of a genre as opposed to individual songs. Sure. So I would say individual songs, yes, less is more. I mean, I think that that is something, I mean, I'm not very good at less is more. I like doing everything. Yeah. Yeah. But that's something that I really do believe that like, yeah, less is more. I think as a genre, if the genre has less breadth of what it's able to do, I think that's a weakness of a genre in and of itself. But I think songs, like focusing on what's really going to drive your message home, get rid of the noise, tell your message as clearly as you can, and often yeah. simplicity is a great way to do that. I mentioned how complex the Bible can be, but also it's really simple to read. Right, these are stories, sure. And you can go. I mean, we Drew and I had a conversation this this weekend, and it, we probably talked for two hours. And just, I mean, it wasn't on the same thing. It rooted off to other things, but you can go so in depth. But at the same time, you can read it and really get a lot from it with a simple understanding. And I think that's the beauty of both music and reading and everything else. Really, is that people can appreciate the simple side and people can appreciate the complex side. Yeah. So, I did think of an answer to your question about my favorite song, and this year might change by the time I actually listen to it. So, <laughs> uh, take this with a grain of salt. But I do really love Chris Tomlin's "I Will Rise." Um, okay, yeah. I think I love, especially just how it alludes to "It Is Well with My Soul." Um, I think probably most people know the story behind it as well. But I mean, it's such a, I think it makes the song just so richly contextual as it talks about like just stories building upon stories. And to me, it's a song about. Um, about the church and about pursuing Jesus together because it talks about how this, you know, there's this other song that I, I want to have the same heart as this one songwriter, and I, of course, I, I love the song it as well. Like, <laughs> just by, I mean, by itself, that's one of my favorite songs. And then you have just a modern take on it, and it seems like the whole song is asking the question of just how do I apply that same thing in the modern day? Yeah. Um, and it's through the strength of Jesus I will rise. Um, so I, I do really love that song. One question uh, we've talked about before. What do you think of Christian rap? Because there's the context of what rap originated as. And obviously there's rap with some very terrible lyrics. Uh, and so what do you think about applying that genre of music to Christian morals? So I, uh, I mean... First of all, I'm probably not the best person to ask that question okay. because I I don't understand much about rap. Like, okay. I mean, I I really understand choral music. I do not really understand rap. So I, I guess my off-the-cuff answer is that um, I think it's it's good for telling certain messages. I, I haven't heard very many songs. Um, I haven't heard very many rap songs that... Um, they give me a sense of, of peace or joy. More often it's passion or excitement of some kind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wonder if rap as a genre, especially with such a strong beat where the the beat is the majority of the artistic value of the song, um, and maybe maybe that's a maybe that's a wrong statement too, but it, it seems like maybe it's less good at communicating um less passionate emotions. Um Mm. but I I don't know the genre well enough to be able to say for sure, yeah, this here is the strengths and weaknesses of that genre. Hmm. I don't know. You said that uh, 
the the rap songs give you excitement rather than peace. That's been my experience. Your thoughts? Um, I would say in general, that's true. I've found in the category of Christian rap, which I've had some experience in, I've found a number of different artists and um, rap styles that, um, yeah, that some that aren't necessarily like that, but I think in general that's kind of safe to say that a lot of rap is gives kind of that punch and that excitement and that, like, um, that charisma. Yeah. I do think rap's a lot of fun. Uh, the other day I, at Purdue singing, um, this was, <laughs> we had a, we had a blast. We had pulled out essentially like, um, I pulled out like my sound mixer and one of my microphones and we were doing essentially just a freestyle rap competition <laughs> up in apartment 11 and it was a great time. <laughs> nice. So it is a lot of fun. Yeah, certainly. It's just, yeah. Do you think part of that is the difference between the excitement and the peace that is just in the lyrical elements of the of the music? I'm sure it's partly that. I'm sure it's also partly just the context of it, of knowing what does rap mean in this culture, mm-hmm. um, because it used to mean, you know, gangsters. Yeah. Um, that's still what people associate with it, and those... I mean, it, it's like language where it takes time for a word to change meanings. Yeah, um, sure. And so these, the genre of, of rap will also take time for it to change meanings. The emotions and thoughts that it will unconsciously evoke in myself and in other people that listen to it will change. Um, I also think that's partly why new genres of music are always more appealing to younger people and why it tends to um, concern older people more is mm-hmm. because they have more baggage associated with that genre, whatever that baggage is, positive or negative. Yeah. Um, whereas young people, it's like, oh, this is a genre. It's just like any other genre. Sounds good. Yeah, but yeah. to other people, like that genre, um, whether it's the whether it's the beat, whether it's the timbre of the voices, um, and the way that they do it, it it means different things because that's what they grew up with that meaning. Um, and we def- and I don't think it's wise to say that that meaning is less valid than the lyrics because um, yeah. that meaning is also, I mean, it, the beat is a symbol just like words are a symbol. They mean different things to different people based yeah. off of their shared past experiences. So I, I think some of it is probably lyrics. I think a lot of it is context. Yeah. I do think um, people have done studies like with uh, especially the effect of syncopation. Um, syncopation is where the essentially the melody and the um, and the rhythm are offset from each other. Um so let's see uh, what would be an example of like there's a light at the end of the trump uh, I can't even yeah it's hard hard to do like there but like where the the beat comes um is yeah offset sure. from the melody that sort of thing um and that's used quite a lot in rap and people have done studies where syncopated music definitely makes it harder for rats to get through a maze um <laughs> that is funny which which makes sense so i i think there is some of it that is intrinsic to the genre i don't know exactly what that is or to what extent it's that versus certain cultural experiences i i don't know but those are some of my thoughts around that topic yeah so i had a thought and i'm curious to see where whether you guys would validate this or not but thinking about how um, music connects to our worship and looking at um, society as a whole, uh, let's say specifically um, in America, could you, do you think you could look at 
the top of the music charts and you could tell a lot um going back to the idea of worship of what a society is worshiping by the music that it's listening to or do you think that society has kind of um lost kind of lost um the meaning of music in general and they're not like that correlated so my my off the cuff answer is that Theoretically, you can, but practically, you can't because music is such a complex genre, and especially in more modern, or yeah, because music is so complex, and especially in more modern genres, is what I meant to say. Um, the lyrics are less important, so I think you can mm. learn things about um, about that culture, but you can't just study the lyrics and say, okay, this these lyrics are what the culture thinks is important, when in all reality, they may not actually be listening to those lyrics very closely. Mm. But you can still find things about just the way the music is written that shows, yeah, what's popular. Um, whether it's um, whether the music is, is more chill, more passionate, or even like, mm. look at American culture, you can see uh, the number of, I, I think we've had like three, here in the last, even like two months, we've had three random country songs top the charts simply because they were rather political and just made people mad. Um, and, yeah. and I think that says very interesting things about, about the culture. Um, so I guess I would say, I think yeah. you can, yes, but I would be very cautious about doing that if you're not inside that culture. Sure. So if you're not inside that culture, then you don't know what that music means to them. Yeah. And the motive what, behind listening to it. Yeah. And what that music means to you will be different from what it means to them. And so it does have a clear meaning but you may not be able to discern that meaning sure. without understanding them as a culture more. Yeah. I like that. Well, do you have anything else that you missed from your notes that you really wanted to get to? Just one story. And yeah. the story isn't even mine. Um, <laughs> but it's a story that I heard. And I told you Winston, this, this one earlier about a, a girl who was a, a born again believer really believed in, in the power of Jesus to change lives because when she um, when she would worship, she would feel the Holy Spirit. Mm. Um, and that was something that was so important to her. She eventually left the faith because she went to a Taylor Swift concert and felt the exact same thing. Mm. And I think that speaks to the danger of confusing um, emotions with what actual worship is. Yeah. Um, it's... Uh, yeah, yes, we should embrace emotion during worship, but that emotion is a foolish thing to base your relationship with God on. Oh. Um, never, honestly, I mean, be very careful about making any decision based on emotions, let alone your decision to be in a relationship with God because you feel a certain way. Yeah, like don't only follow God when you're feeling down or whatever. Exactly. And, and I think also because music is all defined contextually in the context of our culture, it is a language after all, and it's a much less clear and I guess uh, quantitative language, I think often the voice that we hear in music is often our own repeated back to us in a slightly different way. So just because the messages from music that relate to us the most are the ones that we already agree with. Um, so often when we feel like we hear the Holy Spirit in music, sometimes it is, but I think often it's also just our own thoughts that, we put out there that then we kind of receive back and kind of attribute it to the Holy Spirit. So I think there's a lot of danger in overusing worship to, um, as 
as your relationship with God instead of just as as a part of it. Yeah. Um, use your use worship to communicate with God totally, um, but don't rely on the emotions generated by worship yeah. as as a staple of that relationship. Do you have an antidote for that, or like something that you can kind of think of to say is this something that if I were to go to a secular concert and experience the same thing, like where, where is this passion, this emotion truly coming from? Like, is there something like a litmus test that you can use to figure that out? Well, I would say, I mean, emotion isn't, isn't bad. I I guess I would say emotion can come both from like, there's nothing wrong with feeling emotion at a secular concert, but like figuring out where that emotion comes from and why you're, why you have that emotion. Um, I think that's where you've got to use got got to use your thoughts as well and try to yeah. work on building the emotional maturity to know where those um to I guess govern govern your emotions um and all of those things it's yeah, it's it's not going to work to just um you know make make decisions in right. life just based off of how you feel. Yeah, we got another group coming in to We got to cut this record. real quick. All right. So uh thanks everyone for listening i really enjoyed this discussion thank you Corey, for coming on and being our guinea pig as the first guest i think it went well um thanks so much for having me this was a blast yeah uh, um thanks bye. everyone yep. for listening bye we love you bye we love you Quantum mechanics. So, quantum mechanics is more of a hobby for me. So, I'm not. I'm far from an uh, far from an expert. So maybe test, the reason test, why I don't test. understand okay, the this has nothing or on maybe the reason why I don't like multiverse theory to explain quantum mechanics is simply because I don't bum, understand bum, bum, bum. how the two relate together. Bum, 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 um, bum. But more just as I've looked into things like Schrodinger's equation and things like that, um, I think. Um, I mean, as we're analyzing quantum wavelengths and those things. It seems like a uh, test, 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 test. I'm interrupting you. Sorry. Do you want me to keep talking? Keep talking. Okay. (laughs) Um, It seems like multiverse theory could be used to explain literally any phenomenon. How do you explain quantum mechanics? What's your favorite? I don't explain quantum mechanics. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) Uh, My understanding really is that everything. Headphones, that's good. Everything is a particle and a uh, and a wave. So I have this theory about particle wave duality, Kay. which is that everything is actually just a particle, but space itself is a wave. So basically, I think that the um, the Cartesian coordinate plane isn't a good way of defining reality because distances actually fluctuate. What is ducking? <laughs> ducking. Quack. I <laughs> that's my best guess. I have no idea. <laughs> just makes a quack noise and you turn it on. The unit circle, baby. Uh, I memorized it like for pre-calculus. Wait, no. Calc one. Wait. I think pre-calculus. And then I like I'm good to go. forgot part of it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had a I journey with the unit circle. Much of it. Sounds like the Lord taught you a lot through that experience. Yeah. And that really... Kind of what yeah. I felt the Lord was 
sorry, that's not your phone. What the Lord was leading me through there was kind of there are times in life where you go through peaks and valleys, really. Especially we can apply this to spiritual disciplines where there are seasons in your life. I don't really like the term seasons of life. Sounds a little bit fluffy to me. But there are seasons of your life where you're really good and you're just in a groove with reading your Bible and it feels natural and you have that routine. And then there are seasons where it's hard to fit it into your schedule and where you forget the unit circle. And so that's how this is crazy. Calculus applies to reading the Bible. Yeah. Hmm. 